Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Anticipation's growing day by day. Christmas is uh, right around the corner, just uh, about a week away. Decorations are up, uh, presents mostly bought, menus being planned. At our house, uh, adult kids will soon be coming home. First one gets off the plane tomorrow night sometime. Anticipation. How many of you remember uh, the Anticipation Heinz ketchup commercials from the late 1970s? There, there were a few of them. Um, in each case, though, there was someone looking with anticipation into this tipped ketchup bottle and waiting and waiting for it to pour out. And there were lyrics uh, of a song being sung, uh, and I guess it was actually part of a uh, song by Carly Simon. Uh, the refrain went like this, anticipation, anticipation, it's making me late, it, it's keeping me waiting, and then I dragged out that word waiting. Um, how many of you remember those commercials? Yeah, the rest of you weren't even born then, right? <laughs> well, that song came to mind as I thought of our text for today. Um, Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 here continues this theme of anticipating the coming day of the Lord and all that that will bring with it. And, and a, a bit like that commercial with the kids looking into the ketchup bottle with anticipation of the taste of that thick ketchup when it finally gets on the hamburger. So we Christians are, are to be looking with anticipation to the return of Christ, waiting and waiting and, and believing that it's going to be really good when it finally gets there. Look with me, please, at uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll read beginning with verse 13, and I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as I read. <clears throat> but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in, in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of a Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for these letters we've spent time in this fall and, and now into the winter, uh, letters from your disciple, Peter, who watched you here on this earth and, and who records then also this promise of, of your return. And, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us, that we would uh, anticipate that, that each of us would know and be ready for that, but also then, Lord, that, that you would help us remind, be reminded today of, of what, 
we're here for you know, while we wait. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> People spoke in the first couple, or I should say Peter here spoke in the first couple of verses about waiting uh, for God to fulfill his promise. And in the verses that follow, then he talks about what we're to be doing while we wait. And like people waiting to go on a trip, for instance, to a place that they've never seen before, so we are, who are believers in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior are to be waiting and anticipating, among other things, a new destination. That anticipated destination is a new heaven and a new earth. And last week we talked of how when Jesus returns in, the present heavens and earth will pass away with a roar, dissolved with intense heat, and, and God will, with just his word, create then a new heavens and a new earth. And it will be better in every way than our current heavens and earth. And Peter notably here points out especially one thing that will make it so much better, and that will be it'll be a place where righteousness dwells. In other words, there will be no more sin there nor any of the things that came with the curse that was brought on the whole earth when Adam and Eve fell into sin. There'll be no more sickness, no pain, no suffering, crying or death, no more relationship problems, no more political or economic concerns. It will be paradise fully restored. In verse eight, or 14 here, Peter says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, and he goes on then to describe our stance while we wait, and our perspective and our purpose in life while we're waiting. And first of all, then our stance, um, our, our way of standing or our posture. For instance, a, a stance is the position of your feet uh, of a golfer or batter when they're ready to make a swing. Well, our stance while we wait for Christ to return is that we're to be diligent to be found in this position, found without spot or blemish. Now, why does Peter say that, and what does he even mean by it? Are we to make sure we've had a thorough bath just before he comes? No, it's not about that at all, is it? Do you recall when, uh, what, what was required by God in, uh, of the people in the Old Testament when they were to bring to him an animal, animal sacrifice? It was to be a spotless and, and blemish-free lamb. Anything that was devoted to God was to be as perfect as it could be. And God rebuked those who would bring, for instance, a, a crippled lamb. They, they were to give God their best, not their worst. Well, this Old Testament sacrificial system was really pointing ahead to Jesus, and Peter described Jesus' sacrificial death for us back in chapter 1, and when he said that we were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You see, when we admit our own sins and we look to Jesus, the sinless Son of God, who died in our stead on the cross, then, then we stand before God, no longer in our own righteousness, but rather in the righteousness of Christ. <clears throat> and as long as we live in, in daily repentance and faith in Jesus, looking to him for forgiveness of our sins, then we are being diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish. Now contrast that to the description that Peter gave of the false prophets and false teachers in chapter 2. There he called them blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. Our stance while we wait for Christ's return is to be standing blameless before God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In him we are considered then without spot or blemish. 
and we're to be standing also, he says, there at peace with God because of Christ. As, and also then, as far as depends on us, we're to be at peace with all mankind as well. And, and you know, really the only way that peace can ever come to this earth is if people allow Christ to come in and change their hearts. One commentary reminds us uh, that as we look forward to the day of Christ's return, trusting in him all is well, because we know that nothing that will be exposed on that day of judgment can damage us in any way. We are at peace with God because of our trust in his Son. And, and so our stance while we wait is, is a secure position through Christ. What's our perspective and what's our purpose while we wait? Verse 15, here he mentions, And count the patience of the Lord as salvation. His, his patience is for the benefit of mankind as a whole. God does not desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. However, the final judgment will come eventually. It hasn't come yet, though. And so we are to look at it in this way while we're waiting. God's patience has made possible then salvation for more people. And the greatest need that the world faces is the need for a Savior on Judgment Day. Many in our world seem unaware that Judgment Day is even coming. Many pretend that there isn't even a God they need to answer to. Many are living in denial of their sin and its consequences. Many have not yet been told of the Savior who would co has come to save them. God's patience makes possible salvation for more people. And that also then means that God's patience is our message. Well, we still have a day of grace. And we can tell anyone who will listen, it's not too late yet. As long as you have breath or until Jesus returns, there is still opportunity to repent and look to the Savior whose birth we celebrate here at Christmas. And salvation in Jesus Christ is really the central message of the whole Bible. And Peter points out here, it's not just he himself that's saying this. Paul wrote in all of his letters about the same thing. And so part of what I see as we look at verses 15 and 16 here is a further confirmation of the legitimacy of our wait for Christ's return. There's a camaraderie we see among the apostles, and they had a unified message. And as we think about our Bibles, and particularly our New Testament, um, we have four Gospels there. Two of them were written by disciples who were part of the original 12 who walked with Jesus on this earth. And two of them were, were written by contemporaries of those 12. All four of them map out then with overlapping details all kinds of things like the origins and the birth and the life and miracles and teachings and sufferings and death and the resurrection of Jesus. And all point ahead to his someday return. And besides those four Gospels, then we have the book of Acts of the Apostles, mapping out what happened um, to form and spread the Christian church right after Jesus ascended up into heaven. In addition, then we have 21 letters. Some of them were written by other disciples, some even by brothers of Jesus, and 13 of them written by the Apostle Paul. And though there was a point, we read about it in Acts, where Peter and Paul had some disagreements on some things, Yet they worked it out and they looked at each other as fellow apostles. And here Peter then says about Paul that he's a beloved brother. And concerning Paul's writings, he says that Paul wrote according to the wisdom that was given to him. And that in all of Paul's letters, he speaks in them of the same matters that Peter is addressing, including the return of Christ and the day of judgment. And so we have here then in Peter's closing words of this letter, 
confirmation of scriptural authorship and authority. He'd spelled it out some back in chapter 1, um, where he said no prophecy, was, uh, uh, no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Well, here now Peter then declares Paul's writings to be on the level of Scripture as well. And Peter also says some of the things that Paul writes about are hard to understand. And now, that is not a criticism. That is reality. Not everything in Scripture is easy to understand. But Peter isn't saying here, so don't bother to read them then. There's nothing important in there. No, as we look at the rest of this text, I think Peter is suggesting the opposite. And that is that we do need to read and to study Scripture, and that it takes work to understand it, but it's worth the effort. Because you see, if we don't, then we're vulnerable to be led astray by those that would distort our Christian beliefs. And remember, Peter already devoted all of chapter 2 to warning about false teachers, and here he describes them then as ignorant and as unstable. Ignorant, and that, that is lacking knowledge but unwilling to be taught because they think they already know everything they need to know. I'm reminded of a conversation I had once with a college religion professor who had taught religion courses for years, including courses in Christianity, and he had all kinds of criticisms of the Bible, though he had never read all the way through it. It's disturbing to me to think of all of the college and even seminary professors out there that are discrediting the Bible that they barely read. And if so, then, as Peter is saying here, they are ignorant and they are also unstable. Unstable because they have no solid foundation on which to build their beliefs. Rather than recognizing the Bible to be inspired by God and the only completely inerrant and adequate source, the norm of Christian doctrine and life, their, their beliefs are shaped by their, their own personal biases and, and their own lifestyle choices. And Peter says about such false teachers that they twist or they distort the Bible to their own destruction. During my seminary years, I worked part-time as a college student ministry leader on the campus of McAllister College in St. Paul. And our Christian fellowship group there hosted a dorm talk with Dr. James Sire. And we put up posters around campus titled, Why Should Anyone Believe Anything at All? And it was fascinating to see who came and, and the basis of the beliefs that various college students expressed that were kind of out there. Um, but they didn't know and they didn't trust the Bible. Dr. James Sire um, wrote a book titled Scripture Twisting, 20 Ways of, That the Cults Misread the Bible. And in it he mentions how people often misquote the Bible or, or quote part of it and then add to it. For instance, see if you can discern something wrong with this quote from the founder of Transcendental Meditation. Christ said, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that you are God, and when you know that you are God, you will begin to live Godhood, and living Godhood, there is no reason to suffer. <laughs> Did you understand that? What's wrong with that quote? Well, first of all, Christ didn't say that. Um, not any of it. The, the first part of the quote is actually a quote from the Old Testament book of Psalms. And the rest of it is a bunch of spiritual jargon that makes no sense at all, but now ends up then being somehow associated with Jesus. 
Another way that some religious leaders twist the scriptures is, is to come up with their own translations. Uh, for instance, the Jehovah's Witnesses have their own New World translation of the Bible, where they conveniently add in some words. For instance, in order to support their belief that Jesus really isn't God, in Colossians, where Peter, or I mean, where Paul uh, describes Jesus as the invisible God and says, "By means of Him, all things were created," well, they slip in, "By means of Him, all other things were created," and now Jesus becomes one of the created. Uh, a subtle difference. You wouldn't catch that unless you know the Bible yourself. Well, Peter tells us here that false teachers twist and they distort Scripture to their own destruction. That, that is, their changing God's word for their own comfort in this life it is going to bring them lasting consequences and ultimately separation from God for eternity. Plus, in plenty of cases, they also make their lives here on earth and the lives of others that they lead astray more miserable instead of better. And in light of all that Peter has addressed so far, he wraps up this letter with, with kind of a benediction in, in the last couple of verses here. And I want to focus especially on three things that I see there, and all of them happen to start with G. First of all, the need to be on guard and, and not lose our stability. Verse 17, the New American Standard reads it this way, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. You see, it is possible for Christians to be carried away from the truth. I have close relatives who grew up in the same strong Christian clan and same home church that I did, who later in life were led astray. One who was drawn into a homosexual lifestyle and, and then encouraged in that by an apostate church. He ended up dying of AIDS, and I don't know if he ever came back to faith in Jesus. Another was deceived by some religious teacher who taught that Jesus Christ is really irrelevant and the New Testament was fabricated and we are able on our own to obey God's law and to earn favor with him. I'm not sure what that family believes today, but I pray that they yet return to Jesus. Peter says, be on your guard, lest you too be carried away and fall from your own steadfastness. And that brings us to the next word that starts with G here, the importance of ongoing spiritual growth. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Things that are living are supposed to grow. We plant seeds to grow into producing plants. We have babies and we don't want them to stay helpless infants, but to grow. Our new little grandson, born November 8th, is putting on the pounds. He's growing. So too, we are to grow spiritually. Grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Are you seeking to do so? Things don't grow unless they're fed. Are you feeding on the Word of God? Are you seeking to grow? Or did you decide, maybe when you got confirmed or sometime later, that, that you know all you need to know now? And you can just kind of plateau until Christ returns. Do you excuse yourself from reading your Bible by saying, well, it's too hard to understand? Well, find a Bible study group to attend that can help you to grow in knowledge of Jesus and God's word in general. I am convinced that ideally all of us would benefit 
from having some setting where we regularly interact with other Christians around the Word of God. Our congregation provides some weekly and monthly patterns for gatherings like that. I encourage you to look in your bulletin and your newsletter. Make use of those opportunities. Or maybe you'd like to start a Bible study gathering in your home or here at church. I'd love to visit with any of you about that and help you find materials to lead a Bible study group if you'd like. Are you intending to stay at your current level of biblical knowledge? If not, what will you do about it and when? Commentary that I read says this, we should make increasing our knowledge of the Christian doctrine a high priority so that when it is challenged, denied, or quietly replaced, we can confidently and accurately affirm the truth. Three G's here at the end of Peter's letter. Get on your guard. God wants you to grow. And then give him the glory. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. While we live in this sin-sick world, and the devil is working overtime to lead people astray and to hell itself. Who deserves the credit for saving us from the judgment that we all deserve? Who has rescued us and given us forgiveness of all of our sins and promises that one day he will bring us to a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells? Who is the one who deserves all the glory? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, it says here, now and that's why we gather and worship him even now today. And then he says, and also to the day of eternity. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for Peter's writings to us. Thank you, Lord, for how you worked in his life and changed him and how he has passed on then to us. Those convictions that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, that there is forgiveness of sin and eternal life in him, and there is no other way um, to be ready for the day of judgment but to know and trust in Jesus. And we pray that uh, you would help each one of us, Lord, that there be somebody here today has, or somebody listening online that has not yet dealt with their sin and their need for a Savior. We pray that you would help them, that they would humble themselves and find forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus. And, and Lord, for us who know you, uh, we pray that you'd help us that we would be on our guard against uh, false teachings, Lord, that slip in, in from all kinds of different sources, and, and that we would be growing in, in grace and in knowledge of your word so that we would be ready for, for glory uh, and we would bring others with. We, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>